and welcome to the latest podcast from Together for Families, part of Cornwall Council. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget, if you have any feedback or want to know more about anything we're talking about today, please do uh, get in touch with us. We'll give you the details shortly. And of course, don't forget to hit that big subscribe button. This week, we continue looking at the teenage brain. We find out more about dealing with tantrums. But first, Karen and Caroline talk about becoming the owl or the crocodile. Today, we are looking at ways we as parents can think about strategies to take time out to respond to our children in a more positive way, instead of a knee-jerk reaction which often results in a negative outcome for both the child and the adult. We will be explaining the owl technique, the use of I statements and ways for us as adults to keep calm when it could explode like a volcano. Did you know that owls have three eyelids? One for blinking, one for sleeping, and one for keeping its eyes clean. Mm, Very handy. And their heads can rotate their necks 270 degrees. Even more handy. Did you know that crocodile releases heat through their mouths rather than their sweat glands? Mm, Does that mean they are full of hot air? Handy for igniting a barbecue. But what has this got to do with parenting, you may ask? Well, we use OWL as a reminder for observe, wait and listen. So we look at observe first. I think it's important to remember there are always reasons for child's behaviour. They're not behaving that way just to annoy you, even if it feels like that. Perhaps they feel they're not being listened to. Or understood. Perhaps they are tired or they have had a sensory overload or maybe they've been annoyed by their sister or brother and you came in and only saw in them reacting back. We could go on for ages looking at the reasons behind behaviours but next time <clears throat> try to stop and think. What is my child trying to tell me? Do they need a nap? Do they need some time with me? Is there something I can do differently to help my child? Maybe a change of activity, like going for a walk, or thinking, is this the right time actually to do the big shot when my child could be hungry or tired or a range of other things going on for that child? We can take a breath or ten, observe the situation and what it is you need from your child or what do they need and how to respond what strategy are you going to use so next we're going to look at w in owl and w stands for wait keep breathing that's really important allow yourself to think in a calm way rather than a snappy crocodile As parents, we sometimes jump in way too soon without giving ourselves time to really look at what is happening, not giving the child the chance to properly process what it is you're wanting them to do or stop doing. Did you know it can take 10 seconds or more for a child to process the information they're given to make sense of it and then respond? If you sit and count 10 seconds in your mind, it feels like an eternity. But for a child, that is a really important 10 seconds. 
Now we look at L for listen. Sometimes it's a case of making time to really listen to your child, to put yourself in their shoes. What is happening for them? Is the situation we are seeing the same from their point of view? Or are we listening to our own thoughts, our own feelings? And sometimes our own emotions can take over. Sometimes it can be really hard to stay calm, especially when the children are crying, shouting or throwing things. If we try to stay calm, this gives our children the space to express their emotions and thoughts without any shame or punishment, but instead with understanding and empathy. That's not to say we accept the behaviours, especially if someone is hurt, but accepting the reasons behind and the emotions behind behaviours. Using empathy, we could say, you look upset, do you need a hug? One good way to help us respond and not react is to think of a traffic light. Red, amber, green. Stop, think and act. Let's look at stop first. By stopping, you're not saying or doing the first thing that comes into your head and it can give you valuable time to think. Think. What can help is to have a plan. Some people, when they're feeling frustrated and know they might not stay calm, they go outside and take some breaths. That's if the children are safe. For others, it might be phoning a friend or having a cup of tea. Sometimes just stepping away can give you that space and that valuable time just to think. So, act. A useful strategy to use is something called I statements. These help us to explain our feelings without placing the blame on the child and making it clear what you need or what to expect from your child. I statements help children understand feelings and it develops their empathy, which is a really useful skill to learn. It also helps children learn consequences of their actions. An I statement consists of four parts. I feel, when you, because, I need you to. For example, I feel worried when you don't text if you're going to be late home because I don't know where you are. I need you to text me to let me know. So we're nearly at the end of our podcast. Uh, before we go, we have some takeaway gems. And today they are be an owl, not a crocodile. So observe, wait and listen. There's always a reason for behaviour. Just look for them. Traffic lights, stop, think and act. And I statements. That's it. Thanks there to Caroline and Karen. And uh, there'll be more from Caroline a little bit later on dealing with tantrums. Next up, we were all teenagers once, but we probably don't remember how we felt, the emotions, the anger, all of those kind of things at that time. But teenagers do work differently, as Steve explains. Our understanding of how teenagers think and feel has come a long way, with current research showing that there are very real physiological reasons why teenagers behave irrationally. Scientists used to believe that teenage brains were fully formed, like adult brains. 
They are now discovering through MRI brain scans that teenage brains are going through surprising and complex development with white and grey matter, the tissues that create relays between the various brain functions, including the central nervous system, developing throughout this period. Here is a brief description of the teenage brain. The brain is made up of about 86 billion cells called neurons. These work by firing back and forth, making connections, wiring and rewiring the brain throughout our lives. The process is significant first in infancy, when babies are learning new skills, and again in adolescence, when these connections are pruned, like trimming branches, to enable new connections to grow and strengthen. The brain is made up of these sections. The frontal lobe, which helps with planning, problem solving, regulating emotions and decision making. The temporal lobe, memory, learning, processing sounds and hearing. The brain stem, which deals with breathing, heartbeat and body temperature. The cerebellum, which affects coordination and balance. Parietal lobe, sense of body, space and time. The somatosensory area, which applies to touch and pressure. Uh, motor control and the occipital lobe which applies to vision, colour and movement. The parts of the brain which help us to be mature, to plan ahead and resist impulses go through an extraordinary length state of growth and reorganisation in early adolescence and may not settle until we are in our 20s. This has huge implications for how we treat and educate teenagers. For example, if they seem unable to organise themselves or make sensible decisions. Therefore, we need to be patient with them and give them time. One result of this brain reorganisation is that adolescents between 12 and 14 can find it very difficult to recognise other people's emotions. Researchers have discovered that this is because the brain undergoes considerable rewiring during adolescence and teenagers' brains may be unable to detect subtle signs from parents, teachers and other adults. This can also apply to facial expressions, as you may find your teenager is unable to detect the anger or pain you are feeling. So one helpful hint is that parents need to clearly communicate how they are feeling, so teenagers can learn the facial expressions and the emotions. This teaches them over time, and with lots of practice, how to communicate their own emotional needs. Other researchers highlighted the brains of adolescent boys and girls, and noticed similarities and changes in how they communicate their feelings, particularly within social groups. Another piece of research tells us about the sleeping patterns of adolescents. Teenagers need at least nine hours sleep each night. Secretion of the hormone melatonin, which promotes sleepiness, starts later in the evening and also ends an hour later in the morning. This means that adolescents who have to get up and start school on time can be in a state similar to jet lag and are not able to perform well. They perform much better later in the day. Sleep deprivation affects teenagers in many ways. It dampens mood, contributing to short fuses and agitation, frustration that can erupt in adolescence. Teenagers who average less sleep may also experiment using caffeine, alcohol or drugs. Adolescence is a key time for the integration and cognitive and emotional processing and a lack of sleep can impede the maturation of these abilities. This has huge implications for how we treat and educate teenagers. If they seem unable to organise themselves or have an inability making sensible decisions, therefore we need to be patient with them and give them time. We also need to ensure they have plenty of sleep. Dr Sarah Blakemore is a professor of cognitive neuroscience at University College London and she outlined seven things that parents need to know about the teenage brain. Number one, the teenage brain undergoes a huge transition, as we've already talked about. Number two, teenage behaviour is often influenced by friends. Peers are a very important source of information and influence during the teenage years. 
Number three, there's a biological reason why your teenager finds it hard to get up. We've already discussed around the sleeping um, cycle. Number four, long-term risks don't scare teenagers. When teenagers make decisions, they're more likely to choose what makes them feel good at that moment. Adolescents may take part in risky behaviours or situations that as parents and carers you may feel differently about. This can include staying out later or not letting you know if their plans change or by taking part in other activities we may deem to be unsafe. They won't understand your reasons and so if they arrive home late to a worried parent or carer they may not necessarily understand why you are so worried and upset with them. One helpful way to educate your adolescents is to talk to them and find safe activities which can help to promote a safe release of adrenaline such as bike riding, sports or enabling to have some ownership and taking responsibility for the activity they take part in and encourage learning as a way to see consequences of both good and bad decision taking. Which brings me on to number five. Teenagers might need decision-making and planning support. We know the parts of the brain that are undergoing particularly substantial development in adolescence are regions involved in decision-making and planning, self-awareness and awareness of other people. Those regions of the brain that are involved in these cognitive processes are still developing right throughout the teenage years and even into the 20s. And at the same time, those cognitive processes are also developing gradually. So teenagers might need support in these areas, like with decision-making and planning. Number six, rewards are more efficient in terms of learning than punishments. Adolescents respond better to immediate rewards than to punishment. Researchers have discovered that when young people feel good about themselves, if they are praised and encouraged, this can help their brain development and also promote their self-esteem and confidence. As your important role as parents and carers, you are also educating them and paying close attention to the positive behaviour and your young person will recognise this. Please take some time to listen to the encouragement podcast by my colleague Jane Walker on how parents and carers can encourage and support their teenagers. And finally, number seven, teenage years can be an opportunity. We know that the brain is undergoing huge amounts of development during the teenage years. We know this is a period of change, lots of transition, and this period of life is a vulnerable one. If you think about the important choices that teenagers will take on their journey throughout their teenage years, from changing schools from primary to secondary, choosing the friendships that will take them from the age of year 11, making plans and responding to changes in peer relationships, through to their studies at 15, 16 and beyond, these experiences all help to shape their view of the world and of their place within it. This can add to their own sense of self-esteem and confidence. Teenagers are particularly vulnerable to the development of mental health problems, for example, but it's also a period of opportunity. The developments in the brain we have talked about make it particularly prone to change, and that renders this period of life an opportunity for things like learning and creativity, which are some of the necessary skills your teenager will use in their journey through adolescence into the adult world. If you want to find more information on anything we're talking about today, please visit supportingcornwall.org.uk or go to cornwall.gov.uk and search for Together for Families. Next up, we join Caroline once again and we talk about tantrums. Recently, the Duchess of Cambridge answered questions from her social media followers. While responding to the question... How do you manage temper tantrums in your household? Kate said, yes, that's a hard one, before laughing and saying, I also'd like to ask the experts myself. 
Today we will explore managing tantrums. Before we start, I have some did you know facts. Did you know studies indicate that 23 to 85% of children between 2 to 4 years of age may have a tantrum. Also, two-year-olds have on average 50 words in their vocabulary. This grows to a whopping 1,000 by the time they are three. We all know what a tantrum looks like. Legs kicking, child crying and shouting, rolling around on the floor, usually in the middle of the shopping aisle, with onlookers staring and us feeling like we're being silently judged. As mentioned earlier, the average two-year-old knows about 50 words and can use these. They are learning language quickly, but often not quick enough to express to you what they feel, think or want. And this can lead to frustration and then onto an outpouring of emotion. Encouraging language development will reduce frustration and tantrums in the long run. Interact with your child about everything they are doing, what they are playing with, what they can see. Sing songs and don't worry, you don't have to be like Mariah Carey. Your child will love your voice and the fun time spent together. Have you considered Makaton signing? And for those who don't know what Mr Tumble does, Makaton helps children communicate their needs when they can't say the word. It has been proven to reduce frustration and can actually promote language development if you say as you sign. A toddler brain is going through a massive change at this time. Connections in the brain, called neurons, are being connected up at a rate of knots and some of the weaker ones that aren't being used are being pruned to make way for further brain growth. However, toddlers' brains have not connected the part of the brain which deals with regulating their emotions, staying calm. This can happen when the child is older and the development is helped by us, their parents or carers. We need to help our children learn about their emotions. Knowing what they are and naming them will help them be able to tell you how they feel and then be able to calm down. This can be done throughout the day, any time, any place. Sometimes this can be done before your little one's tantrum escalates into a full, large-scale one. Letting them know they are understood can help. Give it a go. I'm going to give you a moment to think about how many emotions you can name. So, how many did you manage? Don't worry if you couldn't name many. I didn't give you very long and sometimes it's a difficult thing to do. What did you notice about the emotions you did name? Often people can name more of the negative ones then they can do the positive ones. Naming our own and our children's feelings is an important way to help children learn the names of emotions and to understand them. Don't forget to label those positive emotions more than the negative ones. This can create a more positive, happy atmosphere, one which children thrive in. To help your child learn to stay calm, acknowledge your child's efforts and attempts. Praise them, especially pointing out the times they stayed calm. Many children love to be praised and will repeat those behaviours praised and noticed by us. During toddlerhood, the brain hasn't developed to allow the child to think of others. This could be a survival strategy from thousands of years ago. This egocentric point of view can be tricky to navigate, but by talking about our thoughts and feelings, 
openly, asking about their thoughts and feelings and naming them may help them to develop and start to think of others. So you're thinking, yes, Caroline, I'll help my toddler learn about their emotions and how to talk and that will help. But what about now? What do I do now when my child is doing their best Oscar winning performance at Great Auntie Doris's house? First, we need to have realistic expectations of our children. They can't be good all the time. They will have off days like us and feel grumpy. They'll sometimes forget the rules on how to behave in public. Having a measured response reacting to our little ones in a fair and calm way and remembering they're still learning will help not only our little ones feel less pressure, but us too. Secondly, we need to look at the child's needs. Have their tooth coming through? Are they feeling a little unwell? Did they not sleep well the previous night? Or perhaps the bright lights of the supermarket and the multicoloured packaging is causing discomfort. These and many other reasons could be why tantrums are more likely to happen. This may not stop tantrums, but understanding them may help us to have more patience and positive strategies when dealing with them. If we can help identify these needs a little earlier, it might help us stop, think and reconsider any activities we may take our toddler to. Rather than visiting a busy group when your child is tired, perhaps pop to a friend's house or have a short play date instead. Another three useful tips are found in the Parenting Toolbox. And if you haven't listened to episode two in the series, please do so as it's a great resource to support with tantrums and other behaviours we want to see less of, or that parents and young people find challenging. And we'll talk about the three tools. Avoid, plan, ignore and distract in more detail. As touched on slightly earlier, changing our plans is a great strategy or tool to use. Avoiding a potential trigger for a tantrum can be a useful strategy. It can't be used all the time. For example, if you need to visit the doctors and you have no one to care for little one, this cannot be avoided. But if there is, perhaps consider it. Does the word no cause your child to react in a negative way? Be creative with your wording rather than no. Think of other phrases like, when you have eaten your tea, then you can have a chocolate biscuit. Again, you are avoiding the trigger for a tantrum and this can be a useful strategy. Many children love attention. They can't get enough of it. When having a tantrum, especially in public, children get lots of attention and sometimes comments from strangers and or parent carers. We are desperate for the embarrassing situation to stop. It can be easy to talk to and plead with your child to stop, to try and reward them with treats. If this is done often enough, children will learn to get the attention they crave, but in a negative way. This is where planned ignore comes in handy. And to recap from episode two, this is planning to ignore the unwanted behaviour, not the child, and only if they're not in danger of hurting themselves, others or damaging property. In public, this can be a tricky thing to do, but persist. Look away, but be close enough in case you have to step in. Remain calm and try not to show emotion. Let them know that you are there when they have calmed down.
When they are calm, try not to mention the tantrum as this might reignite it again. Rather, concentrate on reconnecting with your child. Give them a hug if they like hugs. Give them attention for a positive behaviour and distract them with a different activity to help them learn to move past an upset. Making a toddler apologise for expressing their feelings is not always helpful, as toddlers can lack the ability to see the situation from someone else's point of view. Becoming upset with them and demanding an apology may start a whole new tantrum rather than getting the desired sorry. Maybe it may be useful when they are calm to talk about what happened and their feelings. Let them know you understand them and as mentioned earlier, label their emotions. Lastly, we're going to look at Distract, a handy tool that can be used last minute. It could be as simple as saying, look at that, at some random object, making it sound amazing. It could be being prepared with a toy in your bag, ready to whip out if you can see a potential for a tantrum occurring. Takeaway gems for today. By helping our children learn about their emotions and to talk can help reduce tantrums. Avoid, plan, ignore and distract can be useful strategies to support and reduce tantrums. Giving our children attention for positive things can lead to more wanted behaviours. And finally, if you'd like more information about child development, the Early Help team run a number of free parenting sessions and anyone can come along to learn more. For more information, please see the Family Information Service website, www.supportincornwall.org.uk. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Pocket Size Parenting. If you have, check out the other episodes available Share it with your friends and remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Thank you for listening and until next time, goodbye. And don't forget if there's anything we've discussed today that you need help or further information on, please visit supportingcornwall.org.uk or go to cornwall.gov.uk and search for Together for Families. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Until next time, take care and have fun. Music